You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at patreon.com forward slash monster talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. Wow, it's not even October yet, and we're already starting with some Halloween-friendly content. Karen helped us get an interview with Jeffrey Reddick, who you might know from his screenplay for the film Final Destination. More recently, he made a movie called Dead Awake, which dealt with a fatally contagious form of sleep paralysis. I think this episode's a fun pop culture break, but we do talk about horror films, murder, death, sex, fear. In other words, this content might not be suitable for young children. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Is that recording too? All right, we're good. Oh, welcome back. It's been a busy couple of weeks. It always is. Yeah. Um, but it, this is uh, great. We're going to be talking to Jeffrey Reddick today. Yeah, he's, I, so. isn't he? Well, no, I guess he's not our second. Uh, maybe he's like our third screenwriter. Um, yeah, something yeah, like we that. spoke yeah. to Richard Hayden recently too. So, yeah, so, but I like this. Uh, you know, I think most of our listeners enjoy horror uh, monsters, and, and every now and then to sort of step away from intense skepticism, just talk about you know the sort of pop culture stuff is is a fun uh, uh, relief from you know intense critical thinking about whether things are real. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the drudgery of Bigfoot all the time. Oh, poor old Bigfoot. So. I just got back from CryptidCon, and uh, it yes, was, you did. It was really fun uh, talking with people who. I mean, I'll be blunt. It was fun talking to a lot of believers because and experiencers uh, because uh, they remind you of like you know it, it's really easy if you become skeptical about this stuff to kind of forget how magical and fun it is. Uh, oh yeah, I love hearing the stories. 
or you know or terrifying i mean there were people there who've had very frightening experiences we we talked to one guy who uh, had gone out into the woods uh in kentucky to camp and uh he had some experiences that scared him so bad he just dumped his camping equipment and took off and left it and he's been uh basically too too rattled to go back and pick up his gear and i was like i wish i had time to go help you know not not just to get his gear, but just to take a look around and see kind of what he was experiencing. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, when you talk to people like that, you believe them, not necessarily their theories, but uh, certainly something happened and their, their stories are certainly interesting to hear about. And I mean, us being skeptics, we always look for natural explanations though. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of times we don't get to give them because sometimes there's not enough evidence or it's a one-time thing, you know, and yeah, the question marks are okay. Leaving yeah, a exactly question. within the, within the uh, within the limits of what we can experiment on our test. I think it's fun to uh, to dig in. Although, again, some people don't appreciate that, and I always want to be respectful for people who want to take the time to share their story. And I, uh, yeah, and, and I, I like today's topic. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about horror movies and uh, and sleep paralysis and sleep paralysis <laughs> and and death and some other sort of macabre some- topics. Yeah different kinds of monsters with this topic as well yeah so it should be really interesting yeah monster dog (laughs) (laughs) i just i just got back from kentucky i was talking to karen about it and uh, i guess that's where you're from originally yeah yeah absolutely what part did you go to i went to frankfurt which looked like it's an hour and a half from where you were from Thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so funny because most people just go to Lexington or Louisville. So anytime I hear anybody yeah, that goes anywhere outside of that, those two areas, I'm very impressed because um, that's like real Kentucky. It's a beautiful state. And uh, it, it's funny in Frankfurt because I still feel like it's it's part of the Bible Belt, yet there's whiskey manufacturers everywhere. So you can oh. smell the, the mash <laughs> all over the place. It's crazy. I was going to say it's a dry county. <laughs> yeah, it's um, some counties are still dry, and but a lot of them are, are wet. So it's a it's a very interesting dichotomy living there about um, you know, about what's um, um, Bible Belty and what's not. Well, where, <laughs> so, where where do you live now? Fine. Yeah. Are you in, um, in L.A. California? California. Yeah. 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 I live in California. I've been here for uh, almost eighteen years now. Oh. So I lived in New York. Uh, before that for 11 years. I'm kind of dating myself now, but... Um, <laughs> well, you and I are almost the same age, if your IMDb is correct, so, yeah. it's my Yeah, it's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was I was going to change it, but I'm like, screw it, I'm going to age gracefully. Oh, you're young. <laughs> don't worry about it. If you don't mind, uh, can could you introduce yourself a little bit? I mean, we, we could talk about the movies you've done in the intro, but... Um, um, I, I would describe myself as a uh, writer actor producer director i would go i'm like a multi-hyphen and out or creative dude whichever yeah, is easier but- <laughs> whichever would whichever one sounds less pretentious <laughs> i don't know if you want to avoid pretension in, in hollywood though isn't a lot of it based on uh, uh representation based on that. like you're having your character you know well now yeah yeah <laughs> well now we have facebook to be pretentious on and twitter so you, you, can, yeah. <laughs> you can just be you can just be more yourself when you're talking to people yeah. <laughs> You've worked with some uh, really famous movies like the Final Destination series and uh, Day of the Dead, the remake, and more recently Dead Awake, and uh, you're working on a number of other projects. Currently. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of lot of fun like genre stuff in the works. 
So, Jeffrey, all of your movies seem to have paranormal, supernatural themes, so correct me if I'm wrong there, but how did you become interested in the paranormal? It really was through movies growing up. When I was young, I started watching horror films, and I just tended to, you know, my favorite horror film was Nightmare on Elm Street, which kind of dealt with kind of a person who could get to you through your dreams. I always joke that I've never, the only time that I've ever experienced anything that I'm 100% sure was paranormal is when my grandmother died. And I remember sitting in the living room uh, or the kitchen with my family and out of the corner of my eye, like I saw something walk up behind me and put her, it, and I knew it was her, like, and I put her hand on my shoulder and I just told my mom, I said, oh, grandma just touched me. And I wasn't scared. And I, and I, to this day, I just know it was her. Cause I just religiously, I do believe like there's a, you know, an afterlife and that, you know, our spirit lives on after we do, but that's the only time I've ever experienced it. So part of me is like, I wish I had more paranormal stories to tell because I write horror all the time and I go to creepy places, but just, just from that one experience with, with my grandmother and just also with just kind of a lot of the coincidences that I see in life that are just too many to be coincidences. Um, I, I just know that there's a, I know that we're all connected on a level much deeper than we realize, you know, and we can kind of tell from just our senses. But, you know, I've always been fascinated by darker stories. Part of it's where I grew up. You know, I grew up in a, I always bring this up, not to be a downer, but I grew up in a, an area that wasn't very racially enlightened um, back in the day. Like my mother's white and my my father's black. So, you know, we faced a lot of uh, racism growing up. And a lot of what I did was escape into to reading um, fantasy, you know, Greek mythology, horror stories. Um, you know, I had a, a group of friends that we would just watch horror films all the time. And a lot of times, you know, I always dreamed about leaving the hills and, and being a movie star. And I had a very rich fantasy life. And so that, and that helped it. me kind of escape. Yeah, it's you funny. Like, it's, yeah, it's fu- it is funny. Like um, one of my one of my cousins told me when I was like seven or eight, she asked me what I was going to do when I grew up. And I said, I'm going to be a movie star. And it's you know, I wanted to be an actor. That was my original dream. Uh, but this was before non-traditional casting was a thing in New York. And uh, yeah, they just didn't know what to do with me. She, my agent was like, well, you can't rap and you can't play basketball. So I can maybe get you on the Cosby show. And they canceled the Cosby show. And so I was like, well, there goes my acting career. Um, so wow. I started writing. Yeah, um, those were good times back Wait, in the so day. Wait, so you fell into writing? But by, by like, like coming around from not being able to get the acting gigs? Yeah. I mean, I wrote on the – English was my best subject, so I, I, did, I was writing on the side. is is kind of a fun hobby, but once I realized the acting wasn't going to happen like I wanted it to, then I dove into writing full-time. And at first I was like, I'm going to write a part for myself, and then I kept writing about killing teenagers, and then I quit being a teenager <laughs> and um, got older, and I'm like, well – I could play a teenager on the CW because you can be in your 30s and get away with that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, just, I decided that, um, you know, I've kind of dipped my toe back into acting a little bit. But um, writing, yes. I still love writing. Well, yeah, you were actually in this film, right? So, yeah. It's a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little cameo on Dead Awake. I have a new film coming out that I can't announce yet, but it'll be announced probably in the next week because we're getting into a uh, festival. Um, but I have a little role in that and I've kind of started to give myself more role. I, I did a movie 200 hours and gave my, and I got a cameo on that too. So it's just fun to, to do it. Yeah. It's just to keep that itch scratched a little bit. And well, how much do you have to, uh, I mean, like, do, I guess the screenwriters guild is different from the screen actors guild. Right. So like, yeah. Um, do you, can you be in both? Yeah, you can be in all the unions. Okay. Um, 
which is which is cool. And um, you know, I, I've been fortunate, and a lot of the films that I've been in, where I've just a lot of them have been done independently, and I've been involved. So you know, I'm always I get along. You know, with my all, all my directors, I've gotten along with, and um, yeah, I've just been fortunate enough to, you know, sometimes be able to slip myself into to a small role. Um, and I let them know pretty early on. I'm like, hey, I wrote this part for myself. And usually it's only a couple of lines. It's nothing, nothing massive. So, Well, quick question. Uh, this is really sort of tangential, but I'm from Georgia and we're all almost mm. the same age. And I noticed that your accent doesn't sound like most of the people I talk to in Kentucky. Uh, do you, do you, did you have to work to change your accent or is this just how you talk? No, I had to. I had to work to change it. I had to work to change mine quite a bit. And of course, if yeah. I talk to my parents, it just comes right back to redneck. Yeah. Yeah. If I get on the phone, if I get on the phone with my with my family, or if I get well, I don't drink anymore. But if I got drunk back in the day, it would come out really quickly. So it don't take much. It don't take much to get it. To there you out, go. So. That's just just exactly the same. My wife can like. Yeah. I, my wife can walk into the room if I've been on the phone with my mom or dad. She's like, okay, who were you talking to? Your mom or your dad? Because it's like, it takes me about thirty minutes to shake it. So yeah, yeah. So I can I, I can turn it on and I can turn it off pretty quick. So, but um, yeah, I did. I did learn in in uh, college. They, I, know, that, I took a lot of diction. This again, <laughs> not really monster related or anything, but it, you're mentioning about the, the growing up uh, in a biracial family in in the South. It, it, you're the, again, you're like a few months older than me, and I remember growing up like you know just what a nightmare it was for interracial couples around here, and I, I just hated it, you know, and yeah. I, I didn't understand it, and now I, I you know. Uh, it seems like it's a much better thing, but I mean, it was even illegal to get married, you know, not that long ago. And it's just amazing how much transformations happened in my lifetime. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, um, you know, it's, it was amazing for me just to kind of see the kind of evolution of that. And, and also my mom was really good in that she, she was very mindful to bring us up to understand that, that you know, the people just didn't know any better. You know, she's like, they're, you know, they're ignorant, not ignorant as in education, but just ignorant as, you know, they hadn't seen this before and people are afraid of something that they don't, haven't seen before. So she taught us to be very patient, um, which is why I think I've been able to kind of navigate racism better than, you know what I'm saying? And not yeah. hold on to so much anger and I can kind of deal mm-hmm. with, you know, I can kind of talk to people on both sides of the, the issue to try to find some common ground because I think we're in such a society now where, you know, everybody's just yelling at everybody and nobody wants to take the time to actually understand other people. Um, you know, so I, that's a whole other thing. But I think there's a lot more human monsters that I faced um, than supernatural ones. Well, that, yeah, that's um, been my experience, too. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was reading about you online preparing for this, I, I was I read the story about how you uh sort of broke it. I guess there's a story out there about how you broke into screenwriting, but what you're telling me is that you're, you were aspiring to be an actor and I know everybody's more complicated than the little bullet points you see on, you know, Wikipedia or IMDb. Can you, can you tell us about the sort of the trajectory that got you into screenwriting? Um, yeah, no, the, the, uh, the story, I know the story you're talking about, which is pretty awesome. Um, when, when I saw the first night we're in Elm street movie, um, which to this day is still my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, I was 14 years old and, you know, living in Kentucky. And um, I went home and I wrote a prequel idea on my little typewriter with my onion paper. Um, And I sent it to Bob Shea, who ran New Line Cinema in New York. And um, he sent the story back and he's like, we don't take unsolicited material. 
so I wrote him back and I was like, look, mister, I've spent $3 on your movies <laughs> and I think you can take five minutes to read my story. <laughs> and on here. Yeah. And he did, you know, this is like something only a 14 year old hillbilly would do yeah. actually. Um, and, but he read, he read it and he got back to me and, um, was very encouraging and his assistant joy man who became like a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Um, she's no longer with us, but her and Bob stayed friends with me. Um, from the age of 14 to 19 when I went to New York to study acting for the summer. And uh, they gave me an internship at New Line. And, uh, you know, I ended up working at New Line for 11 years. And they bought Final Destination. Yeah, so it's definitely one of those. It's not one of those, oh, I was an actor who somebody saw at a soda shop. Um, But it's definitely a cool story because Bob could have just not read my story. I think I would have still ended up in the business one way or the other. But I think that that obviously jump-started me um, and got me in at the studio. Good on you. And encouragement matters yeah. so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I wasn't even playing, you know, you never, when you're 14, you're not, you're not thinking like, I, you know, I was even, I lived in a trailer in Kentucky. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to form a, re- I'm going to network. You know, I was not thinking any of that. I was just like, I have a good story and you should read it. <laughs> like, why wouldn't mm-hmm. you read it? It's really good. It wasn't very good when I look back on it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh God, I, I look at things I've written even five years ago and think that was crap. I know, but I was tenacious. But reminder to <laughs> listeners, you just keep hammering at it. You get better by doing, not by thinking about it, right? So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking about Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, several of your movies seem to deal with the topic of sleep phenomena, such as sleep paralysis and sleep deprivation. So have you had any personal experiences with sleep issues? Um, I've I had sleep paralysis a couple of times, but it was very minor. Um, it was just I couldn't move. And, you know, I, I felt something was in the room with me. But it wasn't – again, I wish I had more scary stories because um, <laughs> I sound so boring. Um, oh, no no worries, but, worries. No, no, I, no it's just it's, – it's, it's so funny. But I've just had the mild case of sleep paralysis. Um you know, I, you know, I, I certainly have those common dreams, like where you're falling and, you, you know, you wake up right mm-hmm. before you hit the ground. And, you know, my worst dream is <laughs> my worst dream is when I'm like winning an Academy Award and I'm all happy and I'm hanging out with all the stars. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my worst. That's my worst nightmare. <laughs> oh we, we've spoken about uh, sleep paralysis a lot on the show. And uh, Blake has had some real doozies haven't you i have but yeah <laughs> it, it, it's uh yeah it's it's it was uh really uh in a in a very real sense my gateway into uh into becoming sort of a skeptical person just by because i realized a lot of this sort of paranormal stuff ties to real world you know psychological phenomena but i i mm-hmm. only learned that by doing a lot of reading and i had to sort of get out of the bubble of paranormal literature to to find that stuff but i still it love a while. yeah it did take a while it's i actually think about it uh as sort of as you build up your, your personality and memories and stuff it's kind of a an accretive process you, you you come to develop beliefs and ideas and there's not really a corresponding um uh, ablative process for like wiping away ideas that are no good when you realize they aren't. So you still, they're still there waiting for you and you have to sort of build new structures to sort of handle these things. I think that's, that's sort of my yeah. working model anyway. So yeah. all that stuff's there work, you know, lurking under the hood somewhere ready to be fired back up at the slightest provocation, you know, late at night, you hear somebody walking behind you when you're coming up the stairs and suddenly you're running up the stairs despite your bad knees. Cause you're in your late forties, you know, it happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> it does. Those knees, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Our knees. Yeah. You know, we're we're going to talk a little bit about your 2016 film Dead Awake, which I I watched to prepare for this interview, and and I I have mm-hmm. to confess that when I watched it. I mistook the uh, the Tower of the Americas for the Sky Needle, and I thought at one point that everybody was in Seattle. But then they're going to go, they're going to drive to Austin to go interview a guy. I was like, how are they driving to Austin from Seattle? And so I looked it up on IMDb and saw that you'd actually filmed in San Antonio. So here's my question: Did the director forget the Alamo? Um, <laughs> I. I, I never thought about that, actually. That's okay. I, I, I just wanted to throw out the, did you forget the Alamo joke? So I'm okay now. But, uh. <laughs> Any opportunity. But uh, yeah, Dead Awake is a really fun movie. It's um, just, uh, it's great to see a thriller that's more about suspense than, than blood and gore that you see in a lot of horror films. Um, yeah, thank you. Just- and it's a fascinating, you know, like I didn't know a lot about it until I started studying it. And then I didn't realize like, um, that it had did tie into a lot of things like, you know, people think alien abductions is a, is really tied into that. And there's just, a, you know, demonic possession. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, in ancient times that were kind of tied into this phenomenon. A lot of people, once I started talking about it, a lot of people had actually experienced it. So um, it was a fun project to write just because, you know, I love writing about stuff that have roots in real life phenomena, but, you know, where there's kind of like a, scientific reason behind it but then there's also a supernatural reason behind it so you get it's kind of fun to explore both sides of an issue um so that was a lot of fun with this movie how did uh, dead awake come about i mean were you commissioned to write this or did you write it on your own and shop it around how how did that happen yeah no i I had um, um some producers bring me some articles on sleep paralysis um just to kind of introduce me to the idea of it and um yeah, and they were like, we were trying to think of a story for this. And so I kind of went off and, you know, obviously when you're dream- dealing with a movie about dreams and you can't move, like, uh, you know, my Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, you know, my synapses like went crazy. Um, but I wanted to kind of keep it away from Nightmare. But then it's funny because a lot of this stuff in the movie reflects Nightmare on Elm Street. And a lot of it was unintentional, like some of the set pieces and scenery and locations are very evocative of Nightmare on Elm Street, which were totally not in the script. And then there were things in the script that I put in there as homages. And so it just um, turned out to be a, a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street influence in the movie that was intentional and unintentional. You know, with, with writing especially, you know, they always ask, you know, why is this happening to this character and why now? And, you know, if you're dealing with an evil that's been around forever, uh, then you have to answer the question like, well, why doesn't everybody who's ever had sleep paralysis die you know die in their sleep and so the answer spoiler i should say um so cover your ears for 15 seconds um <laughs> if you don't want to know but no the reason i kind of came into well i can say this without spoiling it i came in the re, i came into the story where you know the idea was you have to believe start believing in this entity before it will come after you and so i came up with a way for a character who would normally not believe in it to experience it and then the more she starts investigating it and starts convincing her friends it's real, they start believing in it. So it kind of starts spreading like a virus amongst amongst her friends. Yeah, that didn't spoil anything. And, uh, I mean, I don't think uh, – have we really talked about whether uh, – when I mean, we've talked about sleep paralysis a lot, have we spoken about whether people have died from, from it or not? Because uh, in some of the cases that inspired Nightmare on Elm Street, didn't people – weren't people dying 
Um, yeah, yeah, there the was Loatians, I think. Absolutely right, the Loatians. Yeah, there were a group of them that, that all died in their sleep, and they had all reported seeing something in their sleep, and that inspired Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. And I don't know, they've I, they've never ex- been able to explain that either. Um, so that, you know, that is that is creepy. Um so, like, do you know anything about that that angle of? Uh, I, I had read that um, before, but I never really investigated or, or dug in historically into the the backstory. I think yeah, they might have been dying from heart attacks or, or strokes associated with sleep paralysis. I don't know. There's so many legends about sleeping in general. That, you know, I mean, ha- even when I was a kid, people were like, "Well, if you die in your dream, you die in real life." You know, like, well, you know, how would you know? But I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Wes Craven, Wes Craven even said that um, you know he'd read an article about a, a um, about a young man who had been telling his family that something was after him in his sleep, and they were just like, "Don't worry about it, you're fine." And he died in his sleep, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of that got the germ of the idea in his head for Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he had some weird guy that was like standing under a street lamp, like looking at his window when he was a kid. Um, that scared the crap out of him. And the guy had kind of a trench coat, I think, and a fedora. And that's kind of what is, I know, it's like perverts. Yeah, yeah, perverts are good for something, at least, nightmares and movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> give them a little, at least they're useful. Yeah, they're useful for a little bit of something. But but that's what really kind of inspired the look for Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's interesting. I mean, speaking of like coincidences, but um, the night that we finished filming, um, and, and again, there are, there are there are like some definite unintentional homages to Nightmare on Elm Street in the movie. But the night that we finished shooting, the next day, I, I went to bed and I woke up the next day. And my phone was blowing up, and I thought something horrible had happened on to somebody involved in the film. And it was people calling to say that Wes Craven died. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was like mm-hmm. it was that was very. Um, that's just one of those things. that's just like you know he was such an important influence in my life and. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a weird, the timing was just weird on that. You know, another one of those like kind of coincidences that's almost too coincidental to not notice. Yeah. Did you get to know him or did you ever get to meet him in in your career? Um, I did get to meet him. The the embarrassing thing is I had about five chances to meet him at New Line and I was too embarrassed to go up and talk to him because I knew, I knew I would geek out. I just knew that I would like geek out. And, um, finally I, I went to a premiere for the, uh, last house on the left remake and um, I can't remember who the actor was. I was talking to an actor. Um, um, I was like, yeah, I really want to meet Wes. He's like, oh, I'll take you over to meet him. And I was like, oh, and of course, I'm, you know, and I, by this point, I'm like a grown ass man. I should I, just go meet Wes Craven. So he took me over to meet him. And Wes was just like, he was so nice and so humble. And we talked, we talked for like, you know, probably half an hour. And it was like really amazing just to speak with him. And, and I joked because we did a DVD together for new line called the house that Freddie built. And, he came in right after my interview and I told him, I was like, I really wanted to talk to you, but I was too embarrassed. He's like, you should have talked to me. <laughs> like there's, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's a, just reading everything about him. I mean, he's, he was just such a wonderful, he was such a smart man. He was a teacher, you know, and I, I, I admire teachers greatly. Um, and he was just really smart and yeah, he's just an amazing filmmaker and just a humble, generous man from everything that I've heard. Um, so yeah, Definitely a good, good role model if you want to have a role model. I think in the business, personally and creatively. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, good that you finally met him then. Yes, I wouldn't be too embarrassed, but you you geek out sometimes. It happens. I met Bernie Wrightson one time, and I, you know, I just I, I'm an idiot, but I. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was like I didn't expect it, but you know, just the next thing you know, you're talking a mile a minute and talking about how inspiring and everything. You know, it's just starstruck. Hey? Yeah. So I've only I've only been the funny thing is I've only been starstruck one time, and because when I worked at New Line, like they would have a lot of celebrities come in, and you know, you just had to be professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time that I got starstruck is um, remember the V miniseries? Yes, the uh-huh. original. Uh, Jane Badler, who played Diana in V, the evil, she was the evil, like, scientist who murdered everybody and was just awesome. Um, I got to meet her maybe five years ago, and we got together for coffee because I wanted her to be in my short. Um, and she lives in um, she lives in Australia. And um, she came over to L.A., and we had co- – and I was literally – like, I couldn't speak. I was like, oh, this is what Starstruck feels like because like, <laughs> I can't even talk right now. And so I had to tell her – and she was just adorable. She was like, "That's adorable." Um, but I've I've met like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, like all these super big people, and I'm just like, "Hey, nice to meet you." Um, Morgan Freeman was a almost starstruck, but not quite. But with Jane Badler, I could not even speak for like five minutes. It was humiliating. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's wild because you know with actors, it's. You know, so much of it comes out of some of it comes from the craft. Like if I met Robert De Niro, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what a great actor. Right. You know, but right. if I met Bruce Campbell, I'd be like, oh, my God, Ash, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's not an insult. That's not yeah. an insult. That's yeah. just also you, because they're they're such important characters to you. Like for yeah. me, like growing up, Nightmare on Elm Street and V were like the two biggest things in my life. Like, you know, movie wise and TV wise, those projects were so important to me um and robert england was in both of them um oh yeah so, he was i forgot about yeah. that he was like the sort of friendly lovable reptile the, right? the, yeah he was a lovable reptile that didn't want to eat people yeah um <laughs> willie he played willie that's right um so when you meet people that are such iconic characters too like there's you're yeah you're not even saying they're not they're not as good as actors as anybody else. It's just your, their role is what's made them iconic. Like Robert De Niro has been in so many films. It's just like, you've been in so many films. You're awesome. But like when you meet Freddy Krueger, you're like, Holy shit, it's Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you touched upon this a little bit earlier. Um, when we were talking about dead awake, uh, you said that when you were doing your research, that people were started telling you about their stories. Yes. Um, their experiences. So after the movie was released, did you get a lot of people, coming up to you and telling you about their experiences with sleep paralysis? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. And it, it was amazing, you know, because they, they, they say that one in three people will experience it at some point in their life and not necessarily the whole, you know, some demon sitting on your chest, horrific experience, but mm-hmm. some level of it. And I, I've had so many people come up to me since the film, um, talking about it. And it's, um, you just don't realize how prevalent something is in society. Most people, I'll be mean, like, oh, I was embarrassed to say anything because I thought it was just, you know, I was crazy or it was mm-hmm. just weird and you would think I was weird or, you know. And so it's interesting that there are these things that we all have happened to us that we're afraid to talk about until we maybe see it in a film and we realize, oh, it's more common than we think. Um, so I've had a lot of people come, but some people have told me some really freaky stories, you know, like I, one of my friends woke up and could swear that he was like upside down, like in an inverted cross over his bed and something was like crawling in the room after him. So I wanted to actually steal that for a movie, but I haven't figured out that I'll, I'll, I'll thank him in any interviews I do, but when I steal that, but, 
Um, you have to use really, that. That is scary. It was very creepy. Was it all grist for the mill, right? right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I, I saw online that you've been to a lot of horror conventions. It, can you talk about your involvement in sort of the horror culture scene? Or, or is that something that you've – it seems like that's grown during our lifetime. Since, um, I, th- I think it has grown. I mean the, I, I will say this and anybody that works in the genre will tell you this. Like the horror community is like probably the most – like loyal passionate community that you will ever find in your life like you know you, you don't see like romantic comedy conventions and oh yeah a good point <laughs> um, <laughs> um and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know especially growing up you know horror has always been kind of the black sheep of the film industry and it's 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 just ridiculous because a horror has always you know, from Psycho to The Exorcist, to, you know, going into Night of Living Dead and Halloween. And, you know, you've always had such benchmark films in the horror genre that have made such an impression. And it makes a lot of money for the business. But for some reason, you know, people like to be snobby about their art. So, you know, it's it's one of those genres that doesn't really get the respect it deserves. And even when it makes a ton of money, it, you know, in, in Hollywood, especially money talks. But, you know, people. People, I don't know, people have a weird, you know, they just don't look at it as the art form that, that the horror fans know that it is. So um, I love going to, con- going to conventions is one of the most fun things for me in the world because you get to meet the fans and, um, you know, they just know so much about your, your work and they, you know, especially as a writer, they appreciate that. Like Hollywood's very, um, you know, once the d- directors started wanting to get like possessive credit on films where it's like, it's a film by blah, 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 you know, you know everybody started kind of really focusing their attention on directors and, and actors. And as somebody who's got a theater background, you know, I was always brought up to believe, you know, like the play is the foundation for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you find that in television, but in movies, because it's gotten a lot, you know, more ego driven and who's out there in the public eye that, you know, the focus has kind of really shifted to the actors and the director. And so the writers are kind of in movies, especially they're kind of a, the low man and woman on the totem pole. Which is just funny because, you know, they need your script to, to make anything. And um, so when you go to conventions, that's a, one place that I find I always joke. I'm like, that's where the fans like that's where you get like most of the attention. Not that you do this for attention, but you get the kind of I hate to say respect, too, but I'll say it. You get the kind of respect that writers should get. You know, like if I were to meet a great playwright, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be knocking it out of the way to get to an actor. I'd be like talking to the playwright. Um, so it's fun to go to conventions and, and really connect with the fans. And, and it's especially when you see like younger, cause I started watching these movies way when I was way too young to be watching them. And you know, my mom was, <laughs> but my mom was like, Hey, you're not out doing drugs or doing anything bad. So if you and you're dorky, they're not dorky. They're awesome. But me and my, I, I had my friend Tony and Calvin that I grew up with. And they're like, if you and your friends are going to be hanging out like a bunch of dorks watching horror movies and reading comic books all the time, that's better than getting in trouble. So my mom always let us watch those movies. Um, even though she'd be like, I don't, I don't know how you can watch that nasty stuff, but she would still let us watch it. <laughs> um, we were in the, we were in the blockbuster age, you know? Oh yes. So just roaming the horror of, you know, what's new, what's new, what's new. Yeah. And we had a video, we had a video store, um, and where the guy knew us so well that he would like let us rent R-rated horror films. He'd be like, just don't tell anybody. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we would, we would always like rent the, the scariest, bloodiest films we could find. And, um, and yeah, so it's really fun when you go to conventions and you meet young 
people and their parents will sometimes bring them up embarrassed, you know, because their kids are like 15 or whatever. And they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. let him watch your movies. <laughs> um, yeah. But he really wants to be a writer. Or she really wants to be a writer. And I'm like, you're doing fine. They're not. Gonna, it's the romantic comedy writers you have to watch out for. They turn out to be crazy. Well, I, I, kept, um, I kept thinking about your idea. That there's no. <laughs> there's no romantic comedy conventions, and I, of, of course not. Who's going to watch the cats? So yeah, <laughs> I bet there. Are. Someone's going to write to us. I know. Someone's going to write to us and say you're Touché. wrong. Touche. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably there probably is a romantic comedy convention, and then somebody's going to be like, Yeah. How dare you say that's all fine. romantic comedy? Uh, well, here's have a cats. here's a confession. Deep confession. <laughs> yeah. all right. I love rom coms, and my wife doesn't, so I have to go see them by myself. <laughs> that is. Awesome. It's so, so sad. It's so sad. But it's, it's well, the fun. I. It's kind of like when I go to see horror movies, especially when they're like younger skewing ones, and I'll be like the only person like in my forties who's there, and then it's like with a bunch of teenagers, and I'm like, Ugh, people are gonna think I'm a pervert. I'm like, what's what's that? <laughs> as long guy? as you're not wearing the trench coat, <laughs> the trench coat and the fedora. Exactly. I think it, it was it '99 that. Uh, uh, the Sixth Sense came out, and I was uh, I was getting ready to get married, so I was living with my wife, and uh, mm-hmm. she didn't want to go. I went to see the movie by myself, and I came home completely creeped out because it's a great ghost story. Oh my god! Yes, and uh, I got home, and I was like, uh, she was sleeping, and I crawled into bed. And I was like, I, I want to cuddle because I'm scared, and she just like elbowed me, and, and I'll never forget what she said because it really, really sort of set the tone for our marriage. She said, "Go to sleep, you pussy." <laughs> That's Kathleen, right? That's my wife, yeah. Awesome. She is awesome. Awesome. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. That is pretty awesome. She's never been scared of anything that I know of, except for, you know, something happening to our kids. But, uh, yeah, right. so I, I'm the one who's always – I love horror, but always freaked out by it. So, yeah. Yeah, my mom was like that. She's like, you know, grew up in, on a farm, and, you know, she lived to be 97, and she was just tough as – I mean, she'd go out and, like – you know, she saw a snake. She'd go get a hoe and cut its head off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's that kind of mom. Like, she didn't give a – and so, yeah, I would get scared for – I would get scared from watching horror films, and – I remember I saw Salem's Lot. Um, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that one. I that one. I was too young. My mom actually told me I couldn't watch it, but I snuck 
down the hallway and watched it from the hallway. Yeah. And that scene where Danny clicks trying to get in the window. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. A, and that's a Toby Hooper movie. Yeah. Yeah, scared the crap out of me. And so I had to sleep in my by my mom's bed for like a week. But my mom and my sister shared like a big bed in her room. So my sister would bring shoes and stuff to bed with her and like throw them at me at night because she knew I couldn't say anything because if mom found out I was sleeping in the room she would know I watched a horror movie (laughs) (laughs) so yeah my sister yeah that's my sister too in a a heartbeat (laughs) like I'm just gonna throw stuff at Jeffrey all night (laughs) because he can't do anything the joy of family (laughs) (laughs) again this is something you've touched upon a little bit already but um as a, a horror movie writer what kinds of things scare you it's funny because people have asked me that a lot and I and I just always give the honest answer. You know, I, I get more scared about people um, yeah. and not not just like serial killer stuff. But I, I just when I see the ugliness in the world, because, again, I've you know, I've definitely faced like really ugly racism in my life and really ugly homophobia. And when I see the how easily it is to stir up hatred um, among people for other people, um, that really that scares me more than anything else, really, to be honest. Um, I'm not afraid of, you know, because I know how to take care of myself as far as, like, trying not to put myself in dangerous situations. And so I'm not really worried about serial killers or, or monsters. I'm really just more worried about, you know, somebody gay bashing me or, you know, because that's happened before, you know. And, yeah. you know, so I'm more worried about things like that um, than any than any fake monsters. I don't want to dice. I, I thought about death, and I don't want to have a long agonizing death i mean that that's something i thought about but as far as what really scares me it's it's really just how how easily people can turn on one another and harm one another um that really that really frightens me wow so you've had a lot (laughs) growing up in the south you had a lot going against you as far as people's biases oh yeah yeah so did did that influence your writing um I think it influenced my writing to a degree, but I, 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 it certainly made me identify with like, you know, kind of people who are geeks and outcasts. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, Mm -hmm. um, but I try not to write too many movies with like, you know, the nerdy kid gets revenge on the popular kids. Cause I feel like that's a, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I had a conversation with a friend of mine in college who was like, one of the most popular guys in college and he was really nice to me and we'd sit and talk for hours, but he was a complete jerk to everybody else. Like he was just an asshole. He was always picking fights and he was being mean. And I asked him at one time when we were alone, I'm like, well, I said, you're so nice and you're very thoughtful. I'm like, why do you act like that to everybody? And he said, well, the way that I was brought up and being a jock, like that's what's expected of me. And I know that probably sounds like a cop out, but I got what he was saying in a way. Like he felt as boxed in by how he was raised and felt he had to act a certain way. And so that's kind of made me a little bit more empathetic, I think. Um, so I try to I try to find layers in my writing and it doesn't often end up on the screen. Like that's the first thing they'll cut in a script um, is there like character layers. Screw that. Just make him a dumb jock or make a, you know, him or her this. Um, but I try to find like when I write I do tend to write strong females just because that's what I loved about Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Um, and also my mom and having a sister that can kick my butt. Um, but yeah, I think it's more, I think it's, I, it's made me more 
try to write more complex characters in my in my work. Um, and I think I do tend to kind of deal with horror that's more grounded and stuff that you can relate to, like, you know, obviously dying, you know, is a universal fear. And, um, you know, dying in your sleep with, you know, dead awake is something I, you know, that really interested me as well. And, you know, Tamara, you know, she, that was a movie about a girl who was bullied um, and who kind of came back and got her comeuppance. Um, but she did it by kind of finding out the flaws of each of her, her tormentors and using those against them. So, you know, I, I do try to try to add some layers to my work. Sometimes it's just zombies eating people, though. You know, <laughs> See him. what are you going to do? <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> and so, uh, Tamara, I, I'd say Tamara with, with my accent, but um, <laughs> you were in, inspired a little by uh, the Carrie movie by that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've always loved Carrie. Um, Stephen King's one of my favorite writers. Um, he likes Final Destination, too. Um, it's in one cool. of his top 10 lists. I know. I was so excited. Um, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got to meet him yet, but I'm going to I'm going to mention him enough times till it happens. Oh, happy um, birthday, Steve. I think he just turned like his birthday was like yesterday or something. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I missed it. I was like, damn it. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Um, but, you know, I love Carrie. My only qualm was that you have to wait to the end of the movie for her to get back at all those people. So for me, when I was writing Tam- Tamara, like, you know, because everybody kept saying, write something like Final Destination. So they, you know, it's it's a high bar in concept, you know, where it's like, come up with something like where it's death, but you don't show death. And, you you know, and um, so I was like, let me just write something fun. And nothing is as fun as like, you know, a bullied kid getting revenge. And then, you know, um, so I wanted to kind of do something like Carrie, but where she starts getting revenge a lot earlier in the movie. So you don't have to wait till the third act for it to happen. And uh, they watered that movie down. I mean, the, the, uh, we, um, a friend of mine, Jonathan Doyle and I wrote a, a book, at, a novelization of it that had all the stuff from the script in it. But, um, you know, in the original movie, like Chloe, the main female character was coming out as a lesbian. Um, and they cut that out. Um, so now it's just her and the guy that you keep thinking she's going to end up with just never get together. And you're like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> you think they would end up together. And it's like, no, she's a lesbian. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and there was a scene where these two, you know, jocks had been kind of roofing and taking advantage of girls. And Tamara puts a spell on them and basically has the guy like they rape the other guy because that's what he'd been they'd been doing to girls. And, of course, they watered that scene down and neutered it. And so they, there was a lot of like stuff that I wanted to push the envelope in a way, but really, you know, have a message behind it as well. So some of that got neutered, but um, it's a, it's a fun movie. And some of the, the actors in there are some of my favorite people in the world. So yeah, it was just, it was kind of my homage to Carrie. Like if you got, if she started kicking ass a lot earlier, <laughs> <laughs> you improved it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, a lot of what King does is, rework other people's i mean the the shining is pretty much the haunting of hill house redone and uh a lot of his work is like that i mean obviously he's done a lot that is not derivative but he he clearly a lot of his early novels isn't it well a a lot of his early novels seem like they you know it's take an idea here's what i would do to turn it to 11 you know you know yeah (laughs) so i i i'm not that's not dismissed everything is derivative everything is I shouldn't say derivative. Everything's a mashup, is, is I think. Uh, where, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. There's not really any. Uh, you know, you can't really. You know, if you if you, especially if you go back to like studying ancient writings and stuff like that, like it's you can't really. There's not really 
you know, they're just basic stories yeah. that you can kind of tell and, yeah. and kind of you just filter it through your life experiences and your influences. And, and hopefully that's makes it unique. You know, but, I mean, Final Destination, you know, is cool, but it basically is a slasher movie with death as a slasher, you know. Yeah. With and some cool speaking, powers. <laughs> speaking of Final Destination, um, the, the movies have a connection to the X-Files. Um, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's got, it's got several, but um, I originally um, had that concept, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then I was trying to get an agent, and they told me I needed to write an X Files episode. Um, so I wrote, um, I used the setup about the premonition as an X Files episode, and I had Charles, who was like Dana's brother that we never really saw. Um, like there, she had one brother we saw a couple times, and then Charles was like, I think we only saw him one time. Um, so I had her brother have the premonition, and. Um, I got an agent, but my friend at New Line read the script. He's like, dude, you shouldn't, don't give this, don't send this into the X-Files. Like, write this as a feature. Um, so I ended up writing a treat, a feature treatment of, of the script that I wrote and um, set it up with some producer friends of mine. And, you know, we tried to set up a New Line like six times. At first, the script was, they were all adults that got off the plane and then Scream came out and teenagers were hot. So they were like, make them all teenagers. And New Line kept passing on it, and finally the producers, uh, Craig Perry and Warren Zide, were like, if you pass on this again, we're going to take it to Miramax. And they're like, we'll buy it. Um, so they, <laughs> wow. they, bought, they bought the story, and I wrote the first draft of the script. But the, um, I, you know, kind of the karmic thing is uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who worked um, on a lot of the best X-Files episodes, oh, yeah. um, um, were brought on uh, to, you know, rewrite the script and to direct. So it kind of went like X-Files full circle. What's that like? I mean, when when you're a writer and you you write your script and you you know if you're professional, it's going to get touched and treated by strangers. You know, what does that feel like? Or what, what, you know, how much, like, do you have to, did you have to work to learn to let go of the, of, of, of the uh, sort of emotional attachment to it? Or how does... Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably the biggest blessing of working at new line for as long as i did as i saw that process happen so many times and i learned very early on that a lot of the reasons that scripts were chosen weren't because of the quality of the work but it was who was attached to it and there were so many outside forces that i i learned to let it go um and i you know and i'm very collaborative you know again i have a theater background so if somebody has ideas that make the script better. I have no problem with it because I have I do have writer friends that are very like precious about don't touch don't touch a word of the script and you know and that's fine if that's their thing. But I'm more like if you know if you hire a great actor and they come up with a line and they've really you know dug into this character like let them bring their magic to the table it only makes the movie better. Um, so I don't mind if it makes the movie better. Um, it's hard when you see people making decisions that you know are going to hurt the film because you just know the genre and, you know, and sometimes that, that part is hard. Um, and also, you know, you also sometimes receive ego on the other end where, you know, people, the directors or somebody will come in and, and not want to even, not want to give you credit at all for the work that you've done. Yeah. Even when it was, (laughs) when it was your original idea. Um, and um, so you, sometimes you have to kind of deal with that political stuff, which can actually taint a project for you. And it's, you know, that's kind of harder to let go of is when somebody tries to discredit your, the work that you've done, um, as opposed to just being like, Hey, 
you know, we've come on and we've done our thing with this, you know, so that, you know, but you, you do learn to let it go. It still stings a little bit. You know, that's why that's a, one of the reasons I've moved more into producing and I'm moving into directing now is because I have a couple of projects that I'm like, nobody's touching this one, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> except for me. And if it turns out awful, then fine. But I have my vision for it and I know how, you know. Yeah, you can sing I did it my way at the end no matter what, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I can, it's, I'll sing that song. <laughs> that, 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 that whole, that word precious, I mean, that, that captures a lot of what I see. The, the, uh, I, I'm always thinking about, uh, the writing process myself and it's like, uh, what inspires you to write and, and like get down to business and, and get past that blank sheet of paper. Can you, can mm-hmm. you mention that yeah. or talk about that? I mean, like what, what gets you typing even when you don't really feel like it? Well, it's funny cause the, 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 this has been one of those weeks where I feel exhausted and I haven't been able to write. So I mean, my friends are like, you sound depressed because it's just like one of those weeks where I just haven't been able to do it. So, I've just been taking naps this week. Um, lots of naps. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> but that doesn't happen often because I, I, I'm i one of these people that tends to have like five or six things going at the same time because you just never know what's going to go forward and what's not going to go forward. Yeah. Um, so I try to work on ideas that I'm passionate about. Um, but then I also joke like, you know, paying the bills and, mm. you know, chasing that next franchise <laughs> keeps me going because yeah, as much as I love Final Destination, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be talking about it in, in 50 years being like, yeah, I wrote Final Destination, you know, you like, on your I mean, I, yeah, like I, I don't want that, to, you know, like, and I, again, I'm very proud of that movie and, and love to death, but you know, it's like, I, I have a, I have a, I'm like, I have a couple of other franchises in me that I want to get out there. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. so, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's always trying to, improve as a as an artist i think you know as a writer you know i i think i get better hopefully with every every script um and then also now it's got to the point where i'm like you know i want to make sure the movies turn out like i wrote them you know because i do know that i you know i've loved this genre for so long and i do know it and um you know i don't certainly think i know it better than anybody else like you know there are a lot of amazing genre filmmakers out there um and but when I write something that I'm really proud of, it's like now, you know, I want to start being in a position where I can kind of make sure that what I wrote, like that is translated to the screen in the way that I envisioned it. Do you have more power nowadays? I guess uh, you've got a proven track record and that you're moving into production. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely, you know, been able to start producing more and, I've, you know, I've had a couple of uh, potential writing or directing things that have kind of been put on hold or, you know, with financing, uh, uh, financing shifted. So I, we've had to push it and things like that. So I've had to deal with a lot of this stuff that you didn't, you don't normally have to deal with as a writer. Um, but it's being in the, having been in the business so long, I've learned to kind of navigate that and not let it like set me back. If, you know, if financing falls through, like I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm upset for a little bit, but I'm not like devastated and going to quit the business. I just start looking for other ways to make sure it happens. Um, so because yeah, persistence is, persistence is very key persistence and patience because mm-hmm. things don't often work out like we f- expect them to. Um, but they usually work out for the best. Horror movies in life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. True that. The, uh, I was thinking about the, the, in, in, in the course of your career, uh, there's been some pretty dramatic shifts in how people consume media. Um, you know, we grew up in the blockbuster age, but now, like, 
I know you people. I still go to the cinema. I love the experience. I hate the pricing, but the uh, like so many things now are streaming, and the streaming services are offering these amazing long form. You're not, you know, it's like a series with no commercials. I mean, how is that affecting the writing business? Uh, you know, as as these uh, things sort of transform the, the 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 delivery mechanisms. I think it's. Overall, I think it's a very good thing because there's a lot there are a lot more options out there now for writers because used to, you know, there are only, you know, a handful of studios. Um, and now you've got like, you know, Netflix and things and, and Hulu and Amazon and, you know, Apple TV and everybody's everybody's putting out stuff now. So you, it's easier to get your content out there. Um, the, the thing is, there's also a lot more clutter that you have to cut through. Um and this has always been an issue. My um, old boss, Bob Friedman at New Line, used to always talk about when he would speak about cutting through the clutter. Like you have to, that's part of being patient and persistent because there's so, you know, you meet so many writers who are like, I'm coming to LA and I'm going to give it two years and I've written 10 scripts. And if I don't sell one of them, I'm going to quit. So you have a lot of those people coming out that are just taking up bandwidth. So you have to kind of stick around long enough to really, you know, rise above you know, you'd be the last man or woman standing. Um, but it's given, it's given a lot more opportunities for creative freedom. So I've definitely, um, I worked um, on, you know, my first network show this last season, Midnight Texas, which was a great experience. And it's just opened up, you know, just even doing that has opened up so many more doors for me because I hadn't been really focused on TV hardcore before then. Um and it's almost like once you get the foot in the door, then all of a sudden you're in a different club. <laughs> then, you know, it's it's cool. So and and I love the idea that you can take 10 episodes or 12 episodes to tell a movie or tell a story now. Um, so I, I think it creatively it's opened up a lot of doors to people. Um, yeah, I just think it's I think it's actually a great thing, you know, and, and it, you don't have to sacrifice, you know, creative freedom because all of the studio stuff right now is you know, every, everything's like, everybody's so risk averse that, you know, you see a lot of these films that are coming out of the studios that are just like kind of cookie cutter because it's gone oh, yeah. through such a development process because nobody wants to take any risks anymore. Um, and then a movie comes out that takes a risk. And like, like I, I just use Black Panther as, a, as an example, you know, like I've been trying to cast people of color in my films since the first Final Destination. And it's always like, oh, it won't sell overseas. And, you know, you just hear all these excuses and, Blade was actually the first um, Marvel comic that was a, a blockbuster. So I always have to give props to Wesley Snipes and New Line and Blade. Um, but, you know, Black Panther came out and, you know, kind of crossed every barrier and was one of the biggest grossing movies of all time. And, you know, so it kind of disproved a lot of the thinking in this business about what people will see. <laughs> but people, it's still like an, you know, it's every time there's a movie like that, people treat it like an anomaly. And then, you know, Crazy Rich Asians came out and it's done like gangbusters yeah, yeah. And, and cross barriers. And so people are now going, oh, maybe we can make a movie about a different race and everybody will go see it if it's a good story. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, imagine that. <laughs> so, um, so it's, you know, so still, the, but still, the studios are definitely playing it more safe. And I think in TV, um, especially with cable and stuff, you're you're getting a, the chance to be a lot more creative and take chances um, story wise and with subject matter and stuff that you couldn't get away with in traditional film. So um, I think it's a, I think it's been a great boon, but people are still trying to navigate it. 
so we're getting to the the end of our interview now. We've just got a couple of final questions. Um, So according to IMDb, you're currently filming the movie Superstition, The Rule of Threes right now. Um, Yeah. So can you tell us about that project a bit? Um, Yeah, that project, um, it's basically based on the superstition that deaths happen in threes. It's my my first slasher film. And... um, it's set on a college campus where two people have died mysteriously and somebody starts a Deadpool um, <laughs> to, f- to figure out who's going to be the third person to die. And nice. it ends up being ends up being an app that, you know, the students download and they enter, you know, and and um, so that also gets rid of that. You know, why don't people use their phones? Because now the killer has access to everybody's phones and a third person dies and then somebody starts going after the other people in the in the who entered the Deadpool. So it's a really fun slasher film. It's also um the fur you know a film that i wrote that's basically 90 percent you know the cast is people of color so i just tell people it's 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 like a really good kind of scream type of slasher film um but instead of focusing on all the pretty white people we focus on all the pretty brown people and a couple of their white friends um and um yeah it's just a fun slasher film and yeah we're we're um they shot some of it in atlanta and then um, we're going to be picking back up filming um, in Louisiana, hopefully end of this year, beginning of the next year. So that's going to hopefully be coming out by next Halloween. Neat. So I'm really excited oh, about fun. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Just my first slasher film too. It's just it, kind of, if you're inverting, the, fun. if you're inverting the tropes, are you going to, you know, do all the white people die? Um, not all of them, <laughs> but, but it does seem fair. It's only fair, one the, but one of them <laughs> dies first, <Yeah>. but <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i tell you what if i was uh, a person of color and i realized i was in a slasher movie i'd be losing my crap i would be uh, yeah yeah i'd be really upset about that and that's just not fair so yeah, yeah. Take, take it on yeah <laughs> I, a big fan of, of genre movies but yeah some of these tropes uh could be let go i think you know and i i could just keep talking i know we need to wind this up but i i I love discussing the writing process and how films are made because i love movies uh and i think our listeners really love monster movies and horror and and uh, a lot of this uh material so thank you for your insights and and talking about behind the scenes stuff this is great Um, no obviously obviously and and feel you know and i love talking so yeah well, if you, if you want to have you back on, I'd love to. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you make it back over here to the East Coast for any of these conventions or something, let me know and I'll come see you. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, DragonCon is a, our big convention here in Atlanta for fans. And, you know, they have a uh, – it's just grown and grown. There's probably about 80,000 people there. Um, and it's all fan-related, so – uh, oh, cool! Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. Yeah. yeah, I'll try to get out to that. And it's so funny. We've – except for Day of the Dead and Dead Awake – I think we've shot all of my films in Canada. <laughs> so, oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, all the Final Destinations and Tamara were, and Return to Cabin by the Lake, they were all shot in Canada. So, Yeah, um, I guess Atlanta's picking up a lot of film business lately. Uh, because, yeah. yeah Georgia's making it very tax-friendly. All the Marvel movies are here, and uh, it's pretty pretty wild. How, I, I noticed uh, when they decided to call Captain America in, in the latest Avengers movie, he was he had a 678 area code. That's local. So... <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I, I just keep, I, I want to see Cap. Where's he at? Anyway, that's. <laughs> all right. So we have a question we like to ask all our, our guests, especially when it's your first visit here. Um, and that is, and I know it's tough to pick sometimes, but what's your favorite monster? Oh, goodness. That is. Um... Which is your favorite kid? You know, 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Only one puppy can survive. Which one? <laughs> um, no, my favorite. You know, I, this is going to be generic, I think. But, you know, I think my favorite monster, um, if you're talking about general monsters. Is, Any, it is can be anything just, you want. Just so I just don't want to exclude anything. Right. You, you, anything you want. Yeah, Freddy Krueger's my favorite movie monster, but I think vampires are my favorite because I grew up on Stephen King, and I think there's just something that was, especially when you're growing up, um, and you know you're, you know, gay, and you're trying to figure out who you are and something like that. And you, you there's just something about vampires where they, you know, could live forever and nobody could hurt them, and they didn't kind of discriminate against who they, you know, bit. <laughs> there, oh, was yeah. just something, <laughs> there was just something kind of, there was just something that there's a, there's a whole b- lot of stuff. Blood is blood. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got, it's kind of funny because I joke about Twilight, you know, I'm like, you know, a, a woman writes a vampire movie geared, geared, geared towards tweens and she makes them all like hot guys who like turn into diamonds in the sun. It's like, okay, you're just trying to tick off every, every cliche for, you know, jewelry and hot uh, guys. But, you know, yeah, I think vampires are kind of, there was just something cool about vampires. Like, yeah, I, I like, I no, like Barlow in the, uh, in the Salem's lot book. It is. So you uh, like the scary ones. I like the Tom Cruisey, Brad Pitty ones. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm kidding. No, Barlow was really, Barlow was really scary. He really is. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm always torn about vampires because, uh, very much, uh, and I, I don't know if I want to blame or uh, rejoice in Anne Rice, but, the, uh, I've enjoyed her books, but uh, she really pushed to make. Well, maybe this is a hammer thing. I mean, I guess Christopher Lee. You know, maybe it's a whole episode about what turned vampires from hideous grave monsters into sexy, sexy. Uh, you know, stylish. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> well, even Bella Lugosi. Yeah, Bella Lugosi was like, you know, I'm not saying he's hot. I'm just, no, he, you know. <laughs> for, for the time, he was a screen idol. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. He was like, he was, yeah, I shouldn't dispel a ghosty. Um, no, but he was like very like sensuous, charismatic kind of yeah. vampire. So I think, I mean, he yeah. it didn't, I mean, if you looked at him, he's not radically different from Valentino in the way he looked. I mean, no. Mm-mm. So no, he had that dark, mysterious, uh, and they showed his eyes a lot. It was, it was, you know, I, I, no, I agree. And I, and I don't lament it, although I just, I like my vampires scarier than sexy. And, and yeah. I mean, I've read, I think, all of the Anita Blake vampire books, and that's pretty okay. much chick porn. Yeah. I mean, it, it's at this point, it's, 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 there's hardly even, she started out as kind of like a, a grown up Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and now she's pretty much a, uh, pansexual uh in it the, the books are not really about mystery so much as they are about who she's having sex with lately and it's like and again going back to my yeah i watch rom-coms my wife <laughs> my mom thinks i'm gay i'm straight but yeah i per- apparently have a very gay taste in music and books and stuff so <laughs> i told that story on the, on the show yeah, before i too. did yeah so yeah. <laughs> bless her heart so uh <laughs> but but yeah i've always i i just like my vampires frightening you know i like them really frightening and, and like uh, you just like vampires and... though <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i hate to end this because i really like talking to you but uh well yeah jeffrey will have to come back sometime He's oh a busy absolutely guy. no i'd love to absolutely oh. um awesome well thank you all for having me and um oh, thank you so much for, for joining us because this has taken a little while to coordinate yeah too, so. yeah i apologize about that <laughs> no no, no worries, no worries. Busy. so and it was great it was really cool and thank you for all your 
your behind the scenes insight and uh, yeah, yeah, very, I, very I, I interesting. Think, yeah, and uh, and I think I again I, for any of our listeners who are aspiring writers, just keep writing. You'll get better. You know, it, that's that's just don't let the uh, the blank page stop you. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. Maybe that's the scariest awesome. monster. Hopefully there. Scariest. <laughs> the blank oh, yeah. page. No, <laughs> blank page. <laughs> well, hopefully, something really scary. Well, not too scary will happen to me before we talk the next time. So then I can be like, "Oh my god, something really scary happened to me." Oh well, I, I can tell you from personal experience. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> you might be better off without it, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Have a great one. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thank you, you Jeffrey. Too. Thank you so much. All Take right. care. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard an interview with screenwriter, producer, and director Jeffrey Reddick. Links to some of his movies and biographical material are on our website at monstertalk.org. Thanks again to Jeffrey for visiting with us, and to Karen for setting this up, and to her husband Matthew for helping with that as well. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. SciCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want SciCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Psybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, 
author book signings and, of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine and the deniers of evolution, climate change and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening. Want to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit skeptic.com to sign up.